Well, good morning, church. It is good to be together today. I'm thankful uh, that each and every one of you are here. Uh, if you're a guest, we're especially thankful for your presence today and hope that you have been encouraged uh, by being here. I know we have folks that are joining us online. I want to welcome them as well. As it's already been mentioned this morning, there is so much going on in the life of our church. Uh, there was a, an event yesterday. As Mike mentioned, there's stuff on Houston Street this week. Our youth group has a devotional tonight. Uh, next Sunday, if you're 55 or older, next Sunday after church, after class, our teens are hosting a lunch for you and want you to be aware of that. Um, and I want to just mention that uh, if you're new to KCOC, what Angela got up here and described as our stewardship process uh, might, might not have been exactly clear, not because of her explanation, just because it might be a little different than what uh, you have been familiar with if, if you've been in a different church before. And so if you have questions about that, that's going to be going on all uh, the next several weeks. And so please be sure to ask those questions as we uh, try to set our budget. It's really important that you participate in that stewardship process because without your participation, our budget is really, really small. So uh, in order for us to be able to do the things that we feel like God is calling us and leading us to do, we want to, uh, we want to invite you to be a part of that. I also want to mention something that's not in the bulletin, but I think there may be a slide that you might have seen before worship. But the next two Sundays during our class time after worship, uh, I, I host a, a class usually twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall, a baptism class. And so uh, that'll be one of the options that'll be available next, starting next week. And it'll be the, the first two Sundays of November. Uh, and if, you, if you've never been baptized, but you've considered that or thought about that, you'd like to learn more about what it is and why that's a practice uh, that we participate in, I would invite you to join us. If you have uh, recently been baptized, but you're like, you know, I want to keep learning about this decision that I made and you want to join us, you're welcome also. If you were baptized years ago, but you just want to come and think more deeply about that decision that you made, you're also welcome. So you might hear that and think it's for a very specific group of people. It's just one of the options among all the options that'll be available. Uh, but I, I want to just mention that as well, because it's only offered a couple of times uh, a year a year, excuse me. So baptism is important and something that we value and invite people to share in and uh, certainly want uh, to, to talk about that as much as we can. <clears throat> so we're in the midst of a series, a sermon series that we're calling Upside Down Kingdom. And we're looking at the stories in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus talks about God's kingdom. Uh, he sometimes called the kingdom of God, sometimes called the kingdom of heaven. But he's talking about God's kingdom and the way that God's kingdom operates and the way that it functions, uh, that, that we function even within this kingdom. And what we have found and what we're seeing each week in this series as we look at different stories in Matthew's Gospel is that in most every way, God's kingdom <clears throat> operates in a way that is altogether different from the kingdoms of this world, from the governments of this world, you might say. Uh, there are different values, different priorities. And so the king, because of that, the kingdom of God can feel to us sort of upside down because it's, it's often kind of at, at odds with what our experiences are in this life. Uh, and so, so much of what Jesus talks about and invites us into can sort of feel almost a little bit backwards, a little bit unique and different. And until that is, until we live into what Jesus invites us to, and then we find that it's not backwards at all, but it's actually, it's not upside down at all. It's actually right side up. It's actually the best way to find life. And so, uh, today our series brings us to a, a difficult text 
This is one of those when I was preparing the series and I'm seeing that Matthew includes this story, this passage this in, in, the, in the series of stories where uh, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. This is one of those that as a preacher you would like to skip. So I want you to know that uh, we're entering into this. Uh, this is a hard word from Jesus and that God has already been doing a work on my heart as I have prepared for today. It's a text that definitely feels upside down in Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be because of the ways that it challenges us and also invites us to evaluate our lives in some very, very honest ways. And so if there was ever a Sunday uh, when we needed for God to give us ears to hear and eyes to see, it is today. And so we ask God that you will do just that. I want to I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, reading through verse 26. <clears throat> Matthew writes first, he says, just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. And Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give them, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with, it, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, sometimes Jesus tells stories that he makes up. We call these parables. And, and that's one of the things, that, one of the ways that we saw that was last week in the story that Jesus told when Peter asked him a question about forgiveness. How many times should I forgive my brother or sister if they sin against me? And Jesus made up a story to, to explain to Peter that there is no end to forgiveness in the kingdom of God. That there's not a point at which we get to decide this is when I'm stop, I get to stop forgiving someone. And that story wasn't a real story. It was a story that was made up by Jesus. But this story this morning, this teaching is not like that. This story grows out of a real question that a man, a rich man, we're told, comes to ask Jesus. And we know it must be a serious question because it includes eternal life. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus answers this question by telling him to keep the commandments, what would have been thought of as the commandments that would have been like on the second tablet, you know, stone tablet maybe, right, the second half. And then he adds this obscure passage in Leviticus, and in addition to these, love your neighbor as yourself. But the man quickly responds, he's prepared for this moment, and he says, I've kept all these things, what else? So Jesus, knowing what the man actually lacks, says, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the story ends with the man walking away, grieving, we're told, sad because Matthew says he had great wealth. I imagine that there are some of us here this morning for whom, uh, or maybe watching live or watching later, that have never heard this story. You've never read it. Uh, You've never heard it preached or taught. And if that is you today, I'm excited for you because uh, it's a powerful story. It's a hard story, but it's a powerful story. I also know that there are others of us today, maybe most of us today, that if You've not, if you've heard this story once, you've heard it a thousand times, right? Dozens of times for sure. Maybe some of you up into the hundreds of times between the times you've read it, studied it, heard it preached or taught, heard somebody talk about it on a, on a show or a podcast or in a sermon, wherever it might be, right? You've considered it because of that. You've, you've thought about it. You've wrestled with it. In fact, maybe, maybe you've interacted with it so much that you've dismissed it. Maybe you're like me and you've developed some sort of resistance to this story or stories like it. And what I mean by resistance is that you've read this story or you've heard this story taught so much that there is this internal thing. You almost don't even recognize that it's happening. But there's this internal thing that happens when you encounter a story like this where you start to explain it away even before Jesus has arrived at the end of the story. You have these defenses that sort of spring up. You know what I'm talking about? You have these explanations in your mind to try to explain exactly what Jesus meant so that it can rest a little easier and settle a little easier in your heart. You know what I'm talking about? This is the point of the sermon where you respond and say, yes, Doug. You know what I'm talking about? There you go. Okay, I know I'm not alone in this. And so because I know this about us, I've pulled together what I I think are some common top statements that people make internally, mostly, probably nobody says most of these out loud, to to explain or push aside this story. I want to see if any of these resonate with you. These are the top nine things, maybe. I'm sure there's more, but these are nine that I've come up with. Number one, or number nine, rather, the text says, Doug, him and not them. It says he was asked to give away his possessions and money, not them, not us. Number eight, Jesus knew his heart, the story says, his heart. And bless his heart, we might say, he had a hard time with possessions and wealth. But that isn't my problem. That isn't my challenge. That isn't my situation. Number seven, this story, you know, Doug, isn't about wealth. It's about the one thing that you're holding back. It's really about the thing that God is asking you to make sure to be willing to let go of. Number six, and closely related to the one before it, Jesus doesn't ask everyone to sell their possessions. He asks this man to sell his possessions. Number five, if everyone sold everything, there wouldn't be anyone with anything. I've actually heard this one in a Bible class in this church. Number four, the eye of the needle is not a needle, not a real sewing needle, but a reference to a small gate in Jerusalem, well, in, a, in Jerusalem, in a wall that was called the needle's eye. Maybe you've heard this, you've seen pictures, you've heard someone explain that Jesus was just using a visual illustration 
a camel could, could get through this gate. But in order to get through the gate, their, the saddle had to be taken off. It had to stoop down really low and kind of crawl through, right? Someone would have to unload all that they were carrying so that it could crawl through. Jesus isn't actually saying that a camel, he's not talking about a camel and an actual needle. He's referencing some gate in a wall in Jerusalem. The next one, the word camel is very similar to the word that meant rope. So maybe Jesus was talking about threading a sailor's rope or something like a sailor's rope through the eye of a needle. Number two, Jesus says to the man, if you want to be perfect, and I'm not looking to be perfect, Doug. Jesus told this rich man, if you want to be perfect, then he should go and sell his possessions and give to the poor. I'm not looking to be perfect. I just want to get through the door, right? And number one, the top reason or defense or excuse that we use to dismiss this story is I'm not rich. This story is for someone else in some other place that has a whole lot more than I have. I'm not rich. Look at all the people around me that have more than I have. Have you ever heard a child ask their parents, or maybe you asked your parents as a child the question, mom and dad, are we rich? Something happened in life, right? And, and your kid like realizes, your kid realizes that their parents have the money to do basically everything that they want to do. And so in their eyes, their parents are rich. And so they say, mom and dad, are we rich? One of the greatest answers that I've ever heard to that question, a friend of mine told me this story that he knew a guy that, that his daughter asked him this question, Dad, are we rich? And the dad, looking at his daughter with love, he said, no, we are not rich. Your mom and I are rich, <laughs> but you have nothing. I want you to think about these nine examples that I've given you this morning. Maybe there's some other phrase you've heard that functions as a kind of defense mechanism with this story. Something to explain it away, something to resist you having to process it. And I think in the process of dismissing it and, and sort of sweeping it away, we actually dismiss this teaching from Jesus altogether. When I think about these phrases, if I'm honest, they all sound like the kinds of things a rich person would say. I've had the opportunity over the years to visit Ghana three different times. Uh, Mercy Project that we support, our kids come and support every single week uh, is in Ghana. And I have had the opportunity to go and visit in Makongo and on Lake Volta where these kids are being trafficked. And they're being, uh, they're being held against their will in slavery. And they're working long 12 to 14 hour days. And I remember the first time I went in 2012, this picture is from 2016 when I went back with Raleen Sloan and Suzanne Brown and I went on, on a trip that time. But the first time I went was 2012. And when I came back, some of you who were here and remember me talking about that experience, I remember saying to you as I processed that you can't unsee things that you've seen, right? And it changed my life. And so this is, you know, Ghana is where Mercy Project is. And this picture captures a moment in a village, a poor, rural, you know, outside. This, it's just, there's nothing. It's, a, it's like a picture from National Geographic magazine. You can kind of get a glimpse of that in the background with the, the straw hut there, the, the house that's made out of mud that's over behind these boys. 
I've never seen poverty personally like what I have seen there, but you get a glimpse of it by looking at this picture. And the challenge, of course, in this life is that there will always be someone who is wealthier than you or I. There will always be someone who has more than you. And so we can hear stories like Matthew and Jesus tell us here and say, he isn't talking about me. And I want you to consider this morning who you think of when you think of someone who's rich. And as you let that actual person come to mind, I want you to consider who do you think these kids think of if they were to be asked, who is rich? If they even have the imagination to think about that or ask that question in the first place. Who do you think they think of when they're asked who is rich? When they hear a story like this, who do they think of that Jesus might be talking to, right? Even they might have someone who they have more than. But I, I would be willing to guess that they think about people like you and people like me. That if you drove a car here this morning, if you went to a closet that had varieties of options to put on your body this morning, if you ate breakfast this morning and you'll also eat lunch and dinner today and you'll do that all week long for the rest of your life, then you are in the top 1% of the human population on the planet and you are wealthy. And we have to really grasp that in order to not dismiss this story. Some of us may not feel like we have much because we live here and we're always comparing ourselves to each other. But again, we, we live in this, this highest percentage of people on the planet. We are the rich man in the story. And I wonder, as a rich person in the story, can we listen to Jesus' story today and not resist or explain it away as we hear it? Because Jesus says a really hard thing. He says, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. What I have found is that I and many of us tend to say, I know it's hard, Jesus, but that's a burden I'm willing to bear, right? I can walk the line, Jesus, without giving in, right? Some of you who have grown up in church, you know that there's this idea of a slippery slope. We usually use the slippery slope explanation to talk about if something is going in a direction that we're concerned about, we don't want to do that in church because it might get us on the slippery slope. And if we do that, then it might push us over the edge. But what I've noticed is that nobody ever talks about the slippery slope when it comes to passages like this, right? No, we want to get as close to the line as possible. We want to have as much wealth as we can possibly have without being really tempted by it, without being really pulled down by it. I can be the one, we say, Jesus, that is rich and still get into the kingdom of heaven. Am I wrong? And this is one of those places where we spend our lives, again, trying to get as close to the edge as we can. But I wonder, I, the question that I have wrestled with personally, again, this is not a this is not a statement to any of just, anybody, just you. This is, I'm preaching to myself this morning. The questions that I began to wrestle with as I knew I was going to preach this text was, have I ever considered that I'm too wealthy? Have I ever considered that I have too much stuff? Let's just imagine for a moment 
that when Jesus said it will be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, that Jesus was not talking about a gate in a wall in Jerusalem, but that Jesus was talking about an actual camel and, the, and an actual sewing needle that has a little eye on the end of it that you'd put a piece of thread through. And if he was saying that, and we can consider that honestly this morning, what would he be saying? He would be saying, and granted this is hard to say, but he would be saying that the percentage chance is basically zero. That is why after the man walks away, the disciples' first question, notice, this is really important. The first question is not, Jesus, is this a metaphor? Is this just an illustration? Because I want to make sure and get it clear, right? Are you talking about that gate that we know about in Jerusalem that's in that wall? Is that what you're talking about? Because we don't want to get, we don't want to miss this. What do they say? When the young man, they say, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? They felt like Jesus had just stated something that was impossible, right? That's why they asked this question. They're not confused about whether this is a metaphor or an illustration or this is, Jesus is wanting them to actually consider that this is, a, this is gonna be a hard thing for a rich person to do. And so they're like, who, that, I mean, who, who can be saved? It seems impossible is what they're saying. Which is why Jesus responds, it is impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. In 1975, the Jesuit philosopher priest John Cavanaugh went to work at the home for the dying in Calcutta, India with Mother Teresa. And most of you know or have heard maybe at some point Mother Teresa's story for over 45 years, she worked in Calcutta, India with the poorest of the poorest of the poor. And like the man in this story, John Cavanaugh went to work with her for a period of weeks because he was searching for some of life's really big questions, right? That's, that's what this man in the story was asking. He had a really big question. What do I need to do to get eternal life? This is a big question. And like this man, John Cavanaugh went to work with Mother Teresa in search of some of his biggest spiritual struggles, and so the, on the first morning that he was there, he met Mother Teresa. It's a true story. And when he met Mother Teresa for the first time, he said, she said to him, and what can I do for you? And Kavanaugh asked her to pray for him. And she said, well, what do you want me to pray for? And he answered with what I'm sure felt like a perfectly reasonable and humble request in the moment. In fact, his response was the reason that he had traveled all of that distance to Calcutta to be there in the first place with her. He said, pray. He was searching, right? He was, he was wrestling with some really big life questions. He had questions for Jesus and he wanted to go find the answer. And so he began this spiritual journey and he went to a place where he thought he might meet God in, in serving the poorest of the poorest of the poor. And so she asked him, what do you want me to pray for? And he asked, and, and, and so he answered, and what, again, seemed like probably a really great response. He said, pray that I have clarity. That's why I've come, is to try to get clarity about what God desires of me, what God is doing in my life. And Mother Teresa, as is report, as reported in this story, she said, no, I will not do that. 
I will not pray for you to have clarity. And Kavanaugh asked her, why? Why not? And she said, clarity is the last thing that you're clinging to and must let go of. And he said, but you always have clarity. And Mother Teresa laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. And so I will pray that you will trust God. I heard this story recently in an audiobook that I was listening to. And I, I share it this morning because I think that it is the, the big idea behind this seemingly upside down teaching from Jesus here in Matthew chapter 19. The reason that Jesus told the man to go and sell his possessions and give them to the poor is because, hear me, it's because he trusted himself more than he trusted God. He trusted his possessions and his bank account balance more than he trusted God. He wanted clarity and certainty. And he felt like that if he could hold on to his stuff, that he would have those things. And Jesus' question to him was, do you trust me? We're going to trust something, and Jesus knew that. And so Jesus' invitation was to trust him. And if you've heard this story preached before, this is the place in the sermon where the preacher typically sort of lets themselves and everyone else off the hook. Where the hard teaching is often softened so we can all digest it a little more easily and still leave here happy and healthy and wealthy. Right? Our toes get stepped on and somebody would tell the preacher, you really stepped on my toes this morning. But ultimately, none of us actually has to do anything. None of us actually has to change anything. But what if this morning? This is, after all, a story where someone is asked to do something. Not just a story where the person is asked to consider a really hard idea. The man, is asked, the man asked about eternal life and Jesus gave him something to do. Not because by doing this thing he would gain eternal life, but because by doing this thing he would learn to trust God and not himself. And this morning, I want to ask the question, what if? What if we resisted the temptation to put up our defenses and our explanations and our phrases that we use to sort of sweep the story away and stories like it? And what if we instead decided not to try to dismiss it or push it aside or explain it away? What if we were willing, though we know there is always someone who has more than we have, what if we decided today we're going to think of ourselves as the rich person who has more than we need and who is always, no matter how much, you ever notice that? No, no matter how much you have, money can still continue to hold on to your heart. And it's because if you have a $20 bill, it represents, right? Blood and sweat and tears, you've put your, your effort and your energy into earning that. And so we become possessed by this possession. And we feel like we need more of it. We can't ever have enough of it. But what if this morning, what if we assumed that we were the man in the story? If we were, what would we do differently? How would we live in a different way? 
Maybe, maybe we would be more open-handed with our possessions. Sharing at every opportunity we were given. Maybe we would look for opportunities, actively look for opportunities to give money and things away. Not, again, because we thought by doing that we could gain eternal life, but because we never wanted to, be, to succumb to the pressure of our stuff and the, and the possibility that we might depend more on that than we do on God. Maybe we would come up with a, if we, if we were really to take it seriously, maybe some of you would come up with a really practical way to put this story into action. Maybe we would have an annual church yard sale. And instead of what often we do when we have yard sales, personal yard sales, is we take that money and we, you know, use it for a vacation or something. What if, what if there's an annual yard sale where we just brought all of our stuff and whatever money we raised, none of us got, we gave it away to the poor. Right? That's not even a great idea, but there's pro- and there's probably hundreds more like that. Maybe that's how, as we ask the what if question, what if we did take it seriously? Maybe there would be some practical ways that this story would be put into action. Maybe we could change our spending habits. We'd think about things we buy before we buy them, and we'd evaluate them from a kingdom perspective. Do I really need this thing that I'm about to buy? And I'm, what I'm wondering today is, what will you do with this teaching from Jesus? And can we, this is the, this is the, the challenge for me, and maybe, you, maybe it resonates with you, can we sit with it long enough that we will actually consider it? In the midst of life and the busyness of life and work and family and kids and all the distractions that we all have, Right? Can we sit with it long enough? And it, if you're going to sit with it long enough to consider it, it's going to have to have, you have to, you're going to have to sit with it longer than just right here in this moment. You're going to have to sit with it tomorrow afternoon or tonight or Thursday morning or some other later time where you go back and read this story and you really ask the question, what if, what if, what if? What I'm, what I'm wondering today is what will we do? What will we do and will we sit with it long enough that we'll experience that it actually isn't upside down, it's right side up. Even though it seems upside down. It seems backwards. Because we're taught in our world to take care of ourselves, to acquire, to make sure we put money away, to do and all of those things might be okay. The danger of preaching a sermon like this, of course, is that there people think maybe there's gonna be an, an ask at the end of the sermon by the preacher to give more money, and that is the last thing I'm interested in today. I actually think Jesus wants us to consider whether we trust him fully or not. It's not upside down, though it definitely seems to be. And this morning, I just want to acknowledge I love Jesus so much. And I want to follow him and continually give my life over to him. But this is a hard teaching. And I will confess this morning, I'll go first in saying that I also really like having treasure here. I really like it. But for Jesus, the here treasure is nothing in comparison to the heaven treasure. You with me? And this is what he wants us to have. And so what if? 
I have no idea how, how the application might play itself out in your life, but I would say that today's sermon is not for me to apply. The application is yours. Maybe all we do is commit to sit with this story for a while in our own time with the Lord during the week between Sundays, silently listening for what the Holy Spirit might want to say to us in regard to this specific teaching. Or maybe we already know what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, and now carrying that out becomes your application, your response. It might just be, again, a way we think about it. It may not, that, that is doing something, changing the way we think about our possessions and our money. Or maybe it's something more. Will you stand with me this morning? <clears throat> However you receive this up, upside-down kingdom teaching from Jesus this morning, my prayer today is that the Lord will bless you and keep you. And the Lord will make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And that from this day forward, may we as God's people trust God more than we trust ourselves more than we trust our possessions. And may we trust, may this trust move us to do something, leaning into this life with the God who makes impossible things possible, following Jesus even when he asks us to do really, really hard things. You're dismissed. Go in peace.